So let's just talk about the professional career and recap it briefly for Jane Blaylock, turning professional in 1969 at a fairly young age, 23, uh, 34 professional wins, as Bruce had mentioned, including 27 on the LPGA Tour. That's tied for 19th all-time. I will also mention that everybody else that's got 21 or more wins – on that list is in the World Golf Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about that, including a couple ladies that have uh, 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 less than 27 wins and no majors. Uh, But uh, Jane also won four times on the Japanese tour. As she just mentioned, Rook of the Year in 69. We'll talk about that opening year because it's always interesting to talk about that first year out on the road. Uh, But uh, also most improved golfer in 1970-71, comeback player of the year in 1985. Uh, Bruce, this next stat is probably the most astounding one we've come across. It's actually actually quite unbelievable, really, when you think (laughs) about it, is that this young lady made the cut in 299 consecutive golf tournaments. Now, there was a lot of talk a few uh, years ago about Tiger uh, being so talented that he made nearly 150 cuts in a row, <laughs> and that was, uh, that was spread all over the world that he was so great. Well, Jane Blaylock made 299 in a row. That's, uh, you know, something, Jane, it is hard to believe because it is an unbelievable number. It sounds like I couldn't quite get to that 300, right? (laughs) Well, to to that end, I mean, were you aware of the number at the time? And if so, did you feel a little bit of pressure on that 300th? Uh, I was. They had started talking about it, not to the extent of Tiger, because, again, it wasn't the big media hype uh, at that time. But uh, the interesting story is that um, I was not planning to play that tournament uh, in Northern California. I didn't, uh, I played that course before and it didn't appeal to me and I played several weeks in a row. So I was resting. I was home in New Hampshire uh, with a week off when the phone rang. And uh, it was, um, I forget who the commissioner was then. And he said, uh, we need you because the LPJ contracts, they had to guarantee five of the top 10. And I said, oh, I, I know, I, I'm so tired. I'm, I'm on the other coast. And uh, my uh, and I really didn't want to do it. And it was my parents who said, you have a responsibility. <laughs> the LPGA has given you this opportunity. Therefore, you have to go. So I went reluctantly. And uh, it was uh, actually hit it, I think, OB on the last hole to miss by one. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I knew, and I, I do remember succinctly how about a 20 foot putt, um, that where I would have, you know, would have made it yeah. and it, and it lipped out. So it was, I guess it was fate. I really didn't want to go. I didn't love the layout, the golf course that didn't suit me. Uh, and there we go. So but 299, it's, it's, you know, 300 is kind of a boring number, yeah. <laughs> kind of even. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we uh, a few of us that um, didn't get to play the weekend went to Carmel and had a great time celebrating the fact <laughs> that the streak was now over. Yeah, uh, 
Quite amazing. Well, anyway, let's go back to 1969, first year on tour. Just take us through what that was like uh, going out on the road, not knowing courses, not knowing what hotels to stay in and oh. places to eat. And Oh, it was uh, it, yeah, scary as an understatement. It's like talk about a, a total change in, in lifestyle. Uh, you know, from the sheltered world of New Hampshire and uh, and Ocean Reef. And so um told you I had met Jan Ferraris at, at, at Ocean Reef. And so she asked if I wanted to room with her. So I said, yeah, because she, uh, she had been out on the tour for, I think, a couple of years. I think she had joined much, much younger than, than I had. So she kind of showed me some of the ropes. And uh, so I remember my first tournament uh, in... Uh, in Louisville, or Louisville, I got to say that properly. Louisville. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was paired with, with Betsy Rawls and Betsy Cullen and watching Mickey ride on the driving range. And I remember watching Mickey practice and I walked so far behind her so I wouldn't disturb her, <laughs> you know, but just I like, say, wow, I'm, I'm here with, with all these, all these great players. And I held my own and I finished, you know, it was like top, at least top 20. And uh, it just really scary, but again, just felt so lucky. Remember, it was just for a year. I'm only yeah, going to try this, so sure, yeah, uh, yeah. And then um, you know, I continued to do okay. Uh, didn't um, make any headlines, um, and just you know, thoroughly enjoyed. I was traveling the country. I was seeing. I was seeing the country in a way that uh, I never would have if you just travel. And uh, stayed in a lot of private housing and just met wonderful people. So I was on top of the world. I just felt so fortunate um, to be playing a game, you know, that I loved for a year. <laughs> yeah. So what did you do with that big $264 check you <laughs> cashed in Louisville? <laughs> I I used it to play the next week. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I did not spend it. Very, very frugal <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was uh, that rookie year. I started, um, let's see, I was started mid year. So oh. it wasn't as if I, you know, they used to play a lot in January, February. I think it was in May or May or yeah. June of that year. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you go back to this 1969, and, and LPG had only started in, in 1950. And so it was still a young fledgling tour. You were rubbing elbows with some of the founders because at that time, some of them were still playing, some of them maybe not at the top of their game anymore. I got to ask you this. You got $100 to bet. You got to put it on one player for a 72 hole event. I'm going to give you four choices. I'm going to, you pick your horse Patty Berg, Louise Suggs, Mickey Wright, or Kathy Whitworth. Who do you bet on? <laughs> uh, I yeah. have to bet on Kathy Whitworth. <laughs> Everyone else would say Mickey, but Kathy. Yeah, was they the would. Everyone would say Mickey. I think ultimate competitor, just yeah. the finest Mickey, the finest ball striker, greatest female player ever. Of course, I never got to see Babe Zaharias play. So, but um, yeah, Mickey was just incredible. But you could never ever bet against Kathy. <laughs> well, you look at Kathy. You know, we're, every. We know Kathy's record. Most people have no earthly idea of her record. 88 wins and 95 seconds. So, I mean, that just shows you how, you know, she had some intestinal fortitude, I can guarantee you that. Oh, oh, and and then some. And you'd you'd be paired with her, and you thought she was shooting 78. 
and she, and then but it was 68 you know <laughs> she had a way she played the game yeah. uh she had an ability to score and she had this odd putting stroke but they all went in so uh Anytime I would go head to head with Kathy and come victorious, I thought, oh my gosh, David and Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about some of those instances. So uh, we're going to fast forward after your rookie of the year performance in 1969 and go to 1970, where uh, you won your first tournament. I did. And I, memorable is, is an understatement. Uh, it was at, uh, in Atlanta. It was a lady carling, and uh, I remember winning $3,000, but more important, I made a hole-in-one on the 16th hole of that tournament, which gave me a one-stroke lead, and I often said to myself, in the last round. Oh, my. And it was, I had a four-wood to an elevated green. I did not see it go in because the, the green was elevated. But I often credit the fact that kind of um, it put me in such shock. It numbed me to be able to finish the last two holes. <laughs> but uh, so I had a, a one-shot lead, and uh, Betsy Rawls was my nearest competitor. And I had to make a four-foot putt on 18, a right-to-left four-foot putt to win. Uh, obviously, I did. Uh, so it was again, first tournament, so exciting, but the funny, the memorable part of it was that, um, I took all my friends, we were all staying in, in homes right there at, um, at Indian Hills. And, uh, we all went to, uh, Atlanta, underground Atlanta, which was really a oh, cool mm-hmm. place then. Back then, to yeah. celebrate. And, you know, yeah. I picked up the tab, whatever it was. <laughs> then we came back and I said, okay, I want to recreate my four foot putt on the last hole. I want to show you. So now it's dark and, you know, we go out onto the green. Then the sirens come. And, uh, and then these police come out and they are trying to arrest us. They've had some vandalism on this Ooh. at this golf course and they thought uh. we were the vandals i said no 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 i'm just i won this tournament i'm just trying to show my friends what <laughs> i had funny. to endure to win this tournament but uh. took a number of phone calls and they detained us for a couple of hours so uh. that's how i spent my night celebrating my first tournament <laughs> win oh that's great that's I, why i won't forget it so uh i remember uh Justin Leonard sharing a story with us about him going out with some buddies and a few beverages, recreating a winning putt at the Open Championship one day. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So it's you're not the only one, I guess, but no, you, maybe you set the trend. Bad. But I bet mine was first. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it certainly was. Yeah. Bruce, yeah. Uh, it didn't take long for validation, did it? Boy, and that's what, that's the next thing. That's the hardest thing to do after you win is to come around Come back and validate it. It didn't take long. Uh, June of next year, you win the George Washington Classic uh, by two shots over Big Mama, Joanne Carner.
Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me. One in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Panda and Shepard, as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Again, talk about another uh, formidable competitor. <laughs> One of the <laughs> absolute the best, particularly in, in, in match play. Um, yeah, I, and I do remember, it's funny that I... When I was looking at some of the wins, I remember some more than others, but uh, I remember hitting a four iron into the last hole to win. <laughs> mm. Is that right? Yeah, it's funny. I, I just remember that. I said, wow, I hit a four iron. Holy smokes. Crazy. Do you remember how uh, uh, Joanne Carner got her nickname? Big Mama? No. It was your friend Sandra Palmer. At a U.S. Open, the one where she lost to Joanne in a playoff. I remember that one very well, because that's one of those that got away from me, too. Yeah, because ah. yeah, they went head-to-head, and Joanne won that one at Rolling Rolling Hills. Rolling Hills, I think, 18-hole playoff, back yeah. when they were doing 18-hole playoffs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rolling Hills yeah. in Pennsylvania. So a full iron into the hole, and... Uh, I had it four feet from the hole and made birdie on the last hole. Mm. So compare that victory to the first one in terms of gratification and. Um, well, after I won the first one, it was of course a fluke. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they use that word, but it's like, you know, who is this person? That's never going to happen again because she can't, she hits the ball too low. She's never going to, uh, she's never going to repeat it. So the <laughs> second win was, um, was very significant because, oh, wait a minute, we might have to pay attention to her. And the fact that I played well uh, coming down the stretch was important. Joanne kind of wasn't too happy with you. Because <laughs> that wasn't the last time you beat her in 71. <laughs> you win the Lady Pepsi Open and uh, by one shot over Joanne Carter. So they, by this time, Jane, they're, they're saying there's something, something going on with this gal. She can play. Yeah. <laughs> right? They changed their attitude, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, they they were starting to pay attention. I was uh, uh, starting to get a little bit more respect, uh, more. Uh, Joanne and I actually used to play some, a lot of practice rounds together. Because once I, once I won a couple, then it's like, oh, okay, uh, you know, sh- she's okay. And uh, I had actually played with Joanne. Um, we were both amateurs. It was at the Burdines in Miami. In so Miami, this yeah. had to be 1960. Eight or maybe it was early six, certainly before I turned professional. And Joanne and I were paired together, and she kept encouraging me, "Come on, we can get these pros." And I did finish in the top five. And did she win that tournament? She may have won that as an amateur. Uh, certainly fared very well. But that's we kind of bonded when we we're both amateurs. Then mm. she stayed amateur um, a little bit after that as well. But uh, I used to love uh, playing practice rounds with her because she'd bring out, uh, you know, the best competitor in me. 
Well, you obviously liked Indian Hills Country Club because you just <laughs> went back to back there. So there's something about that place, you know. And speaking of that place, uh, Joan, Joan Joyce, uh, in uh, 11 years later, in her final round there, set an LPGA record 17 putts. That's the greatest trivia question. <laughs> you know, if you are asked who holds the record, uh, you know, fewest putts on the LPGA, that probably would not come to mind no. <laughs> by any means. I was not there at that tournament. But I remember hearing the stories and because uh, Joan was, uh, I, I had one of the one of those that encouraged her to play golf because um she and I met at the Superstars uh, in Houston, along with Billie Jean King. And we, yeah. Billie Jean and I started the Women's Professional Softball League. Oh, and cool. so uh, I had, uh, Joan hadn't played any golf then. So uh, I said, you, sh you know, you played every other sport in the world, so you really should play golf. So I was particularly pleased when uh, when she did that, I guess she chipped in a couple times, but uh, mm, just amazing. absolutely amazing. I'll still take 299 consecutive cuts <laughs> made, but yeah, 17 putts is pretty astounding. Now, you mentioned superstars, so I got to pick up on that uh, because, we again, we just talked to Geraldine Britz, who I think competed in the superstars competition one year, finished fifth place. You participated as well? Yeah, actually, Billy Jean and I, we're the, we're the ones that made it happen. We lobbied. Cool. Uh, it was, um, gosh, it was, it was a division of IMG. Barry Frank, who was the mm -hmm. uh, member of the producer. T TWI, I think, was the uh, television arm. And we said, okay, you've got this thing for the guys. You know, what about the women? Yeah. So the first one was in, uh, was in Houston at the Astrodome. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I did finish third in the softball throw. I finished well in the basketball, and that's about it. I kind of fizzled out on the track <laughs> <laughs> and and the swimming. <laughs> but that was a big deal, wasn't it back then? Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. It was really a big deal and fun because it was. Uh, you know, it was the who's who of women's sports, and so uh, I remember the track star, Wyoming Atias trying to teach me how to get out of the blocks, you know, as a sprinter <laughs> without falling on my face. I said, I'm just going to do this standing up. Yeah. <laughs> but again, so many great women athletes who we never had the opportunity to connect with. And so I did that for, I think, uh, three years. Yeah, that's mm. neat. That's so neat. It was fun. And that's when Billie Jean and I became good friends. Like, that's, that's, that's so cool. Let's move on to 1972. And, and Bruce, is, as you know, on the show, it's th these interviews with these women, which now number maybe 40, 40. with Jane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we've had a chance along the way also to tell the history of the LPGA Tour and a transformational change in the tour came in 1972, courtesy of David Foster, Colgate Palmolive, and the advent of the Dinosaur golf tournament and Correct. guess who won number one <laughs> yeah i wonder who that was yeah I know <laughs> yeah we we go on after 71 and people say oh yeah no this blaylock girl can play a little bit well in 1972 you put everything put everything out of their mind in 72 winning four times and starting the year 
at the Dinosaur Colgate Winner's Circle at uh, with three over Carol Mann and Judy Rankin. Boy, what a way to start the year, huh? Oh, that was, uh, well, it was such big news. I mean, it was, uh, you know, what David Foster and Colgate did for women's golf. Uh, you know, transformational is, is such an understatement. I don't know if there's a, a, a word that can fully explain uh, the difference that made and, and which lingers today. But, um, you know, the purse was, uh, total purse was, gosh, was it 20000 and um, no, I've got that wrong. I won twenty thousand. Mm. Um, was a hundred thousand, and so the second largest purse that year wasn't even. It may have been forty or not even fifty, but it was what Colgate was doing. We all uh, seven or eight of us participated in Colgate commercials. You know, Laura Baugh was the ultra bright girl, and uh, Sally Little was the uh, Colgate Palmolive. Um, <laughs> dishwashing liquid. I I was on TV with Madge the manicurist. Oh yeah, Madge. And, sure. uh, yeah. Oh, it was uh I had a whole new appreciation for commercials. Took two days to film fifteen seconds. Yeah, uh, isn't that crazy? And then it was, you know, Dinah Shore and then Dinah brought her friends, uh, you know, it was Sinatra and Bob Hope and, you know, on and on. And it was it was hype and the the again, the promotion around it, the excitement. And women were coming out of the woodwork that wanted to play in it. And so it was just, and it was on, you know, national TV. It was such a big deal. It was at Mission Hills, you know, such yeah. a beautiful place. Um, the trees were a little smaller then than they are, <laughs> they yeah. are today. Um, but it was just so exciting. And, um, but early that week, I was practicing and uh, my back locked up on me. And so I'm going, well, this can't be because this is the biggest tournament ever. Yeah. Uh, it's a happening. It, you know, it transcended the game of golf. And um, Ernie Vosler was uh, around Mission Hills then. He was somehow involved in it. And um, and I, you know, he said, well, you know, you go get a massage or whatever the case may be. And um, and it didn't work. So the second day I couldn't play golf. And I said, well, I'm just going to go to the doctors and get a cortisone. She said, no, no, don't get a cortisone shot. That will never work. Uh, and well, I went to the doctors and he said, well, I'm going to give you a shot, but you're never going to be able to play this week. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. So uh, no, I, played, uh, I played in a back brace and uh, probably kept my swing more connected. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I don't, I think it was aspirin. I don't even know if Advil had been invented then, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was quite an experiment. Windy and, uh, you know, very difficult golf course, uh, you know, stellar field. It was a who, who, who's who in women's golf. And uh, it was, um, you know, last round, um, again, going head to head with uh with Judy Rankin and, you know, and Carol Mann. And uh, I remember I did have a lead going into 18. And the golf course was a lot different then. You know, Bruce, it was originally yeah. designed by Desmond Muirhead. Correct. And the greens, we used to say, like they were elephants, uh, you know, buried. buried in those greens. Yeah. And 18 had several segments. So I hit seven iron to, you know, left side of the green, had to go over several mounds 60 feet away. And, 
smartly three putted <laughs> from <laughs> for my victory because I said I'm not going to be uh, I don't need to be a hero just need to win this tournament so uh, uh, and no I did not drive it or dive into the pond it was uh, not uh, it would not have been tasteful <laughs> no, it was a pretty ugly little uh, oh it was uh, filthy right then it was uh, pretty no, ugly <laughs> it was it was awful yeah. uh but it was uh, being there with Dinah and David Foster and, uh, you know, winning the biggest tournament ever in women's golf was uh, was something very, very special. You played great that week too. Uh, 54 holes, missed consistency, 71, 70, 72. Missed only two greens in the <laughs> entire tournament. That's, that's playing your golf ball. Yeah, I was a really good iron player. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> in addition to, I used to be a good putter and chipper, but I became, uh, you know, through uh, Bob Tosky's tutelage, uh, an excellent iron player, and I was particularly good in the wind. Uh, loved to play wind shots and could knock it down and could hit a little left or right fade, which certainly helped me and helped me out there. Who could have imagined what that event was to become? Yeah. Oh, you couldn't. You couldn't imagine it. No, and you know, with the uh, I've done a few interviews with the you know the fact that after fifty years, uh, the tournament moved to um, you know to Houston, and now yeah. it's a a Champions Tour event, and so it was big news. But you just can't you can't explain how important that was. It it totally it changed the way the public perceived women's golf. It changed the way we perceived um, our own tour, into how we were, how we perceived ourselves. Uh, we had arrived, we belonged there, and and that women's golf was now very, very important. It wasn't a group of uh, barnstormers, um, and it was now um, it, it and it it made the, the tour something that young women wanted wanted to do. They wanted to play golf. They yeah. wanted to become an LPGA player, so it just it impacted every, everything, and uh, in such a positive way. Just to give our listeners a, a sense of how uh, how transformational it was, uh, the, the total purses on the LPGA tour back in 1970 were a little over four hundred and thirty thousand dollars for the year. By 1980, that purse amount had grown to over five million. Now that doesn't seem like a lot in today's dollars, but it was a lot. Yeah. And you had, you had a fortune 500 company, you know, uh, you know, a global corporation, Mm -hmm. uh, putting that money behind it. So now other companies had to pay attention because as opposed to, uh, you know, civic organizations, chamber of commerces, um, it was different. Yep. And Mr. Foster used to take you ladies to Japan too. Oh, we know one now. We were talking about records uh, and, and Mission Hills. Uh, so we had three uh, Colgate-sponsored uh, Dinosaur, Colgate Far East, which moved around, which was, I mean, we're in Singapore, we're in Bangkok, we were in Manila, we are in, in Japan, uh, and the Kuala Lumpur. I mean, we saw mm-hmm. places in the Far East and saw it in style. You know, Colgate didn't hold back. 
Yeah. And and then they sponsored the uh, Colgate European, which was always at Sunningdale, which was yeah. such a treat. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and it, once again, we stayed in these great uh, hotels, and you know, all uh, courtesy of Colgate. But then, uh, what what David did, he would take the top point finishers. He created a system, and each one of his three tournaments, and the top point finishers, the top twenty would get to go play the Triple Crown at Mission Hills at the end of the year, like November, December, maybe in January one year. And uh, and so that's, uh, obviously Mission Hills was kind to me, so I actually won two of those Triple Crowns. Mm, cool. And, uh, you know, thank you, David Foster, and thank yeah. you, Mission Hills. Boy, so it was, uh, I think one was in 70. Six or seventy-seven, seventy-eight, right, right in that time frame, but uh, yeah, during uh, during Colgate's uh, tenure on our yeah. tour, I want to pick up on a term you used to describe sort of the pre-Dinosaur tour. You used the term barnstorming, <laughs> and we've talked to other people that have played in that era and, and have compared it to sort of the almost the regional traveling circuses that would move from town to town, and they'd have to set up. And when I say setup, meaning they really did the setup. You guys did right. the, you marked yeah. the course, you did the rules, you counted the money, you sold the tickets, you promoted to the Chamber of Commerce, all that stuff. Uh, it was a bit like a traveling surfix. Then you'd tear it down on a Sunday night and then take it to another city the next week, didn't you? Well, you know, I was on the fringe of that. I would say I have my own generation. I was uh, just, I was certainly younger than the Patty Berg, Louise Suggs, Marilyn Smith, uh, Mickey Wright, Kathy Whitworth era. And then I was before the uh, Amy Alcott, Patty Sheehan, you know, Pat Bradley, Jan Stevenson era. So I kind of have my own little group, but I said, what? Wow, I got to play with Louise Suggs. I got to play with Patty. I got to play with all there of them. A lot of them. And, yeah. and so how lucky was I? So I was on the very tail end of having to do the heavy lifting they did it all for me so uh but experiencing that and the we would caravan i'm sure you've heard that story many oh, times yeah. Yeah. be yeah. seven or eight players and uh you know certain a, signals and, and, oh and whoever whoever was leading better do their job and don't lose anybody <laughs> <laughs> then we'd all stay in the you know same hotels and uh just you know great great camaraderie did you have a CB radio? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've forgotten about that. <laughs> you remember what your handle was? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's continue on. 1972, the next tournament you won uh, was the Su Su Suzuki Golf International at, at Los Coyotes Country Club in California. And uh, we've talked about this woman before. You beat... Ms. Whitworth by one gave her one of her 95 seconds. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember much about that one? Uh, not the actual competition, but yeah. uh, I obviously was on a roll. I was, you know, had my confidence has had been building. And uh, there was a young man who watched me uh, at the, um, when I won the, uh, the Dinah. And his young man's name was John Cook. Is that right? <laughs> he was a little towhead. Yeah. Yes, and he was. then he came to watch me. His father brought him to the Suzuki. So John Cook became my little lucky charm. 
<laughs> so he watched me win both of those, uh, oh. which is kind of an interesting trivia. Uh, and uh, and just I'm not answering the Suzuki question, but it brings me to um, one of my caddies during one of the diners was Mark O'Meara. Really, I'll be darned. So I had the between John Cook and Mark O'Meara. I uh, I was pretty fortunate, uh, you know, have those those wonderful handsome young men by my side. Yeah. Mark went on to have a nice career. Uh, yeah, I'd and, say I'd say fairly good career. Yeah. And he really seemed to enjoy playing Pebble Beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In fact, one year they surprised me. Mark had just won the amateur. And they paired me uh, they paired him with me in the pro am. Ah, okay. As a kind of a, you know, this is this is a, a bonus for you yeah. because we, you know, we remember your connection that Mark caddied me a few times. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So watchful eye in his career. But back to uh, sorry for uh, digressing there. Back to the Suzuki. Uh, I just remember uh, strike just striking the ball so well. Just again confidence at, at its highest level. And anytime you can beat Kathy Orth, I said you have done something very, very special. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway Then it started to slice just a smidge off line It headed for two, but it bounced off nine My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay Yes, it went straight down the middle Quiet